Hey everyone, and welcome to a Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, which as you know is our NFL draft edition of the podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by our draft expert Tim Bielik and our film expert Lance Rice, and we're going to get into all things wide receivers here on this draft. And Tim has already prepped me that this is his favorite position to talk about, so I think we've got a lot of good stuff coming your way uh, for this podcast. Uh, we'll do a texture Q&A as well uh, a little bit later, and then of course we will do another mock draft uh, at the end of the show. We'll pick a, uh, a mock draft simulator and we will go in the war room and make our picks. Tim, why is wide receiver your favorite position? I'm just entranced by, you know, the skill positions. That's just, you know, where I go to. That's where I gravitate to. You know, some people are about the offensive line. Some people are about the quarterbacks. I want the sizzle. You know, I like the steak, but I also want the sizzle. It's like those uh, fajita platters at Chili's. You know, it's got the sizzle going. I need a little some of that, too. And I think with the way the game has changed in the last few years, it seems like especially the way last offseason played out with the contracts given out to big to guys like Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown, that receiver position is just going up and up and up in value. And I think as that's happening, I think it really makes it more interesting to watch these guys and kind of see how that group starts to stack up. Lance, what's your favorite position? I'm curious. I don't think I've ever asked you that. Well, my favorite position to break down would be a quarterback, just because especially now as it's gotten more to the off-platform stuff and, and, you know, actually kids I you know I've worked with in terms of how they throw. But when you get to, like, guys who have to do it, you know, the old fashions, you know, over the top into, you know, the Patrick Mahomes who are throwing off platform and, you know, with the RPOs and the footwork. Uh, but my favorite position as a whole, even though I was a uh, college quarterback, breaking down would be the offense and defensive lines. I think because for Tim's sizzle to happen, you got to protect. <laughs> and so I've always been, in, you know, the, the upfront is where I like to, is my favorite film breakdown, at least for sure, is, is the upfront guys. See, that's how you can tell you were a quarterback, though, because the first the first guys you go to are the offensive linemen. You know, you, you know the guys that you've got to be on the good side of. There's no question, you know, and you can in football. It's such football is, you know, everybody always says that, but football is so intriguing to me in terms of you are only as good as the guy next to you, and it really is the truth in football. So if you think about a quarterback, a running back, all that, it does not happen. None of the none of the fun happens in football without the offensive line. And, you know, I learned that the hard way because when I first got into coaching, I got, you know, it's more, how can I put points up there? You can do all that is if you can protect and run the ball. And that's so all that stuff is important. And I, so it all, for me, it always starts up front, both sides of the ball. All right, let's get into it. We'll kind of follow the same format as we did for defensive linemen last week. Tim, who is your favorite wide receiver uh, for the Browns in this draft? Well, of the guys available, you know, I've talked about him before, but to me, it's Marvin Mims from Oklahoma, you know, this is a guy throughout the draft process, you know, I've kind of looked a lot at his positives and I keep going back to him as a guy, you know, I think that'd be a great fit for this offense, a guy who can be a downfield stretcher, a guy who can turn those short receptions in the big yards, not a big guy, you know, a little skinnier frame. So you got to wonder how much weight he can put on, but you know, with, if you're asking him to be a slot guy, you don't necessarily need him to be, you know, 190, 200 pounds necessarily. If he can get there without losing a lot of speed, that's ideal. But, you know, in the slot, you know, it's you don't see as much press coverage as you do on the outsides because that's where <clears throat> your best corners are. A slot corner obviously is a different position entirely than outside corner. So t- to be the slot guy, you got to be able to maneuver and have speed. And Marvin Mims has both those tools. Lance, what do you think of Mims? 
I love Mims, and actually, I didn't start really looking at Mims until Tim had talked about him a couple weeks ago. And he, you know, I, I'm kind of shocked. He's, a, you know, people are not talking about him at a higher level, but there's some really good receivers out there. And I think I love about receiver going to what Tim said in terms of how the game has changed is that you have these outside guys, but then you have like the slot guys to me are positionless guys. They're guys who play inside, play outside. They run the jet sweeps. They do a lot of different things. They're touches guys. So for me, they're position guys who need touches. And there's a lot of guys who, you know, you can get the the guys who are 6'3", six, 6'4", six, on the outside, you know, running the comebacks, the curls, things like that. Um, but Mims is really good. I like a lot of those guys. For me, the, the slot guys are the guys who – and there's a lot of them I like. I'm starting to really lean towards Parker Washington in terms of later rounds. But guys who can get easy yards in the slot, uh, they're not going to get jammed very much. They're, they're going to be in, in different roles. There's a different route tree in there. Um, but, yeah, I like Mims. I like all those slot types of guys. I think that Browns need a slot, easy yard guy. So, I mean, Lance, you, you kind of mentioned a couple names. Is, is Mims that guy for you, too, that you like, you know, kind of your favorite guy for the Browns, or is there somebody else? Well, we talked about him before, and we took him, actually. I, I like Tank Dell, and I'm not, you mm-hmm. know, once again, I'm not sure, you know, it, it fluctuates for me, and I'm just learning this system in terms of when they'll be available. But I love Tank Dell. Um, I like Downs. I think Downs is pretty good. I don't know if he'll be around. Uh, a guy that sticks to me later in the round, and I really liked his film this week, is Jaden Reed from Michigan State. He does some really good things. Again, a slot guy. Uh, I think Parker Washington is the best guy after catch that I've seen in terms of physicality and being able to get some easy yards, get that second and two. Uh, not a, he's not always going to be a home run guy, but he runs kind of like a running back when he catches it, so I like that. Um, but, yeah, I like Mims too. You know, I'm not – the top guys are some of my favorites, but my Tank Dell is still my favorite, but Mims is right there too. When I look at, you know, receiver, this position in the draft, maybe a reason I like it more than some is like, you know, some people look at this class like, oh, this is not a class where you're going to find a number one receiver. There may only be one of those guys potentially in TCU's Quentin Johnston, but where the strength of this class is, twos and threes galore. I mean, when you look at the Browns are picking, there could be an endless slew of guys available. Marvin Mims, you know, Lance just talked about Jaden Reed. I really like him. You know, he he kind of technically doesn't fit the Andrew Berry guardrails. I think he actually turns 23, I believe, on, on Saturday of the draft, Friday or Saturday of the draft. I, I have to double check, so that'd be quite a birthday present for him. One thing about Reed – he struggled in 2022, but I don't hold that against him because everybody at Michigan State struggled in 2022. It wasn't just a one-guy thing. It was the entire team that really took a step back, so I don't hold that a lot against Jaden Reed. Then you get to other guys. You you mentioned Tank Dell. Uh, John Domingo from Ole Miss is a guy we talked about. Tyler Scott from Cincinnati is another intriguing guy. You know, a guy who played his football in Norton High School, so that'd be another local guy to bring home. Even later rounds, you know, you, Lance, you mentioned Parker Washington, also Jalen Moreno, Cropper, Fresno State. It's a class where there's plenty of depth at that slot position. You're not going to find necessarily an elite number one guy, but you can find a lot of guys in this draft at particular particularly in this draft, the receiver who can contribute in some form to your offense. So as far as the Browns are concerned, Tim, where would you rank this need for them? When, when we talked D-line last week, wide receiver, so would you rank it ahead of D-line, behind D-line, and just overall, where would you kind of rank the need for a wide receiver? I put it second. Right now, I think the defensive line, the edge rusher particularly, is still number one. This was 1A, 1B for me, you know, until the Browns <clears throat> trade for Elijah Moore, and I – I've gone on record before saying I was a big fan of Elijah Moore, you know, back in the 2021 draft. I thought the Browns could have taken him with a first round pick and they kind of get a chance to get a do. They get to double up on that because they 
took Greg Newsom two years ago, and now they trade for Elijah Moore. So you solve a problem by having an explosive, you know, speed player who can play inside and also outside in Elijah Moore. But I think, you know, you can't have enough speed on the field. I think the Kansas City Chiefs receiving core is proof of that. They got just a bunch of guys who could run, a bunch of guys who can get open. I'm not saying the Browns don't necessarily have that. Their top three is certainly very good. You know, you can go down the depth there that where they still kind of maybe need one or two more guys. Obviously, adding Marquise Goodwin, you know, he's in his 30s, but still got good speed. I think another guy who can be, you know, a big play threat, maybe not right away, but, you know, maybe towards the end of his rookie season into year two, I still think that would be a position where I would I would look to upgrade and honestly you know one of these two third round picks in my mind I would earmark for a receiver in my own opinion Lance what about you where would you rank wide receiver as a need for the Browns it's definitely for me it's definitely two and I think they need a I you know it's once again I'm not, I think they need a playmaker so um whatever that may be I think it, I, I think Tim's right in terms of though there's tons of guys in that second in that second tier, I was just watching, you know, a guy like Jake Bobo. I was watching him today. You know, he's not, he's a positionless guy. He's kind of a big slot. He's kind of outside guy. He does a bunch of different stuff, but there's a bunch of different guys like that. So for me, it's, it's definitely second for me. It was the DT. Um, I still think it's the DT um, depth wise. I still think they need another big guy in there. Um, I think edge was, so if you take, you know, edge would kind of be two uh, and then that slot receiver would be kind of three for me. Um but it depends on, you know, what they're, how they're thinking. Do they think they're okay with Jordan Elliott? Um, do they think they're okay with Alex Wright? You know, obviously that's whatever their thought process is. But for me, it'd be three and it'd be, um, it'd be the guys, you know, I look at some of the top guys when I was looking at Quentin Johnson. I love Jordan Addison. He's my favorite of all of them. Um, Hyatt, those guys are outside guys. I think they can get a talented, talented slot uh, that fits their needs, um, you know, immediately. Okay. So, Tim. When it comes to this position, if, as Browns fans are kind of approaching Friday and they're trying to figure out who are who are guys that maybe fit what Andrew Barry looks for, what what do you look for? Traits, age, all of that. What are you looking for in a wide receiver that makes you like circle a name and say this is an Andrew Barry guy? Well, one thing I particularly look at, and you know. It's kind of come with the last couple of years as agility. And I mean, I go back, you know, I was thinking this a year ago when I was really looking at receivers who they were adding, you know, Omari Cooper, David Bell, Michael Woods, you know, those are guys who have separation ability. I go back all the way to, I, I can't remember when he got drafted. It was Hunter Renfro from Clemson who went to the Raiders. You know, people didn't think he was going to be very successful, but the guy just simply gets open. And then you look at his, you know, his three cone number, it was sensational. So I think that's, that's an indicator, you know, you can have all the speed you want. You can, you know, be as fast as, you know, anybody. I mean, John Ross, for example, you know, four two one combine, the fastest, you know, for an offensive player ever in the NFL. And, you know, he really struggled. And speed's one thing, but you have to be able to separate and you have to be able to catch the football. And from that regard, I think it, that's where we saw Andrew Berry kind of deviate from, you know, where he had taken receivers in the past. He took, you know, a physical force in Donovan Peoples-Jones in 2020. That was a steal of the pick. Went for arguably the fastest guy in the 2021 draft, Anthony Schwartz. You know, he's been banged up and hasn't really quite worked out as expected because he was kind of a raw player. And, you know, the injuries, like I said, have been an issue for him, unfortunately for him. But 2022, we saw him really go prioritize separators. And then this year's prioritized speed. So I would imagine – Speed and separation for me would be two big things I would be looking for. You want guys who are fast, but you also want guys who can be fluid and can change direction without losing a lot of speed. And, and Lance, you you always talk about easy yards and guys getting easy yards. And, and Tim said something there that I thought was interesting too about 
Um, like Hunter Renfro is just always open. There's just certain guys, you know, Cooper Cup, uh, Travis Kelsey. I think Amari Cooper is like this. I mean, we could just go through the list of, of top-tier NFL pass catchers, tight ends and receivers. And, you know, I mean, j- again, just to go back to, like, Cooper Cup, everybody knows the ball is going to Cooper Cup, right? But somehow he still gets open. Defensive coordinators are spending – 100 hours a week trying to stop this guy, and he figures out how to get open. And I think until until the Browns got Amari Cooper, they didn't necessarily have that type of guy, and I still think they could use a, a few more. Yeah, you know, the, the when Tim talks about, you know, the short area quickness and you talk about, you know, for me that's the term a football coach is football fast. It's not that – it's not the time fast. It's the ability – I always look for a receiver. We always worked in three levels. We worked in the ability to release, to get off the ball. And then it was the catch point, and then it was yards after catch. And some are good at all three. Some are some are good at um, you know one, or some are good at the catch point. Some red zone guys are good at the catch point. But those guys who have short area quickness and can separate and can get off press, that's football quickness. That's zero to five. And that zero to five is the ability, you know, you can help guys get off press with being off and using motion and stacks and um, bunches and things like that. But guys who can be on the line of scrimmage and, and use that shake and get vertical and then have a two-way go, what in or out or up or down. That's what Hunter Renfrew does. So if you if you watch his film, which I've watched a ton of, he wins right now. And then all the speed is gone. So all the speed that he, you know, people say he doesn't have, he's already won. And so that that short area quickness that they have, the the Amari Coopers who he can do a little bit of inside out, but that's what I see. I see guys when you talk about those guys who can separate, that's football speed. That's the ability to have the nuances to be able to lean to find the, you know, that, you know, Cooper is the best at finding the blind spot when he's running comebacks. It's just having savvy. It's taking that speed and that knowledge and the coverage and all that kind of ties in um, that. And, you know, those guys who know coverage, well, you're a lot faster if you know where your coverage is coming from and things like that. So that's for me is, you know, those three levels and this knowledge of football are, are, are so important for those, uh, those guys who just get open and that's what they're able to do. Okay, so Tim, one of the the fascinating things every year when you when you have a team that has traded draft picks is, you know, who could they have had? Uh, I don't think anybody's going to argue with Elijah Moore basically being the Browns' second round draft pick this year. But just out of curiosity, who did you have in that range receiver wise that that maybe the the Browns might have had an opportunity to get? I looked at Josh Downs and Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee as the two that really stood out to me. They're very different players. Josh Downs, I think, you know, to Lance's point, there's a lot of agility quickness to his game. I like to think of him as like maybe Jarvis Landry with a little more speed. He separates well. He's His issue is just he's a smaller guy and he's going to be relegated to the <laughs> slot. But again, it kind of goes back to something I've said before, which is why is there this anti-slot receiver bias? You know, the slot matters. I mean, last I checked, the middle of the football field still matters. You know, you win games in the middle of the field. And if you have a receiver who can create chaos in the middle, you know, who can maneuver through traffic, that that's a weapon. And I think Josh Downs does it very well. You know, at a high volume of catches in North Carolina, maybe not necessarily a big play guy, but he's a guy who I think does well downshifting and speeder than upshifting, which works just as well as, you know, having top end speed like Jalen Hyatt. I mean, when shifting gears now to Hyatt, no pun intended, of course, uh, Guy won the Boletnikov last year. I mean, the, a gigantic reason why Tennessee was just so tremendous last year until Hendon Hooker tore his ACL. Um, Hyatt, you know, didn't test the 40 as well as I think he could have as well as I think everybody expected into. I think people thought he was going to, you know, set a record, go sub 4 2. It was a 4 4 1, which is still fast. His 10 yard split is awesome. 
you're probably not going to find a better deep threat in this draft than Jalen Hyatt. And I think he is an, he's, a, he's one of the wild cards for me in this draft because he had a very specific role in Tennessee's offense. It's go deep. And then Henry Hooker was basically just, you know, the old joke with Ty, uh, Patrick Madrug choking. He's like, I'm just going to throw it. Tyree kills down there somewhere. Same kind of thing with Jalen Hyatt. The issue with Jalen Hyatt, he's kind of skinny. And he wasn't really asked to do a lot, a lot of route running. And the thing I've been thinking about, and I've been trying to figure out, you know, what the agility numbers came out, was it because he couldn't do it because he was too stiff? Or was it because it was something he wasn't asked to do because he's just so much faster? And even in the SEC, you know, watch what he did against Bama. Absolutely lit up that Alabama secondary featuring two, you know, safeties you should go in the top two, first two days, Brian Branch and Jordan Battle. Lit that defense up. So I think maybe it's just a thing, you know, Tennessee just asked him for that to basically go be that deep threat. But I th- I would imagine because the agility numbers are solid, he at least has some ability to change direction. So I think there's something there. And I would feel like, you know, if you have the agility, those things like route running, that can be taught. And if he came to the Browns, I think that would have been a great fit because you put him alongside Mari Cooper, like you said, a tactician is a route runner. You get him into the lab with Amari Cooper, a guy like David Bell, also who knows how to separate. You learn those things pretty quickly. And then once you master that stuff, that's when that game-breaking speed really takes over. Lance, Tim mentioned the slot and, and how it's become how it becomes sort of forgotten. And I think on the defensive side too, I, you know, we're going through this with Greg Newsom on the defensive side, right? Like he wants to be an outside corner because outside corners get paid. And nickel corners don't get paid, but they're still super valuable. Well, on the offensive side, you know, everybody wants to be that outside receiver. But I think, too, versatility is really important now because the really smart offensive coaches, and I think this is something Kevin Stefanski does really well, is they sort of hunt matchups a little bit. You know, so they'll put out big personnel with like two receivers and a couple tight ends or even 13 personnel. And they'll kind of use motion and different things to put sometimes their best receiver on the inside to get matched up on a safety or a linebacker. So I think, I think more and more the ability to play inside and out is going to become really important in the NFL. Well, yeah, the, the slot, I agree I don't, I've never understood that. And I'm just kind of, like I said, last couple of years, the slot, this uh, in, you're kind of into a box if you're only a slot. Well, um, it depends on, you know, what coverage you're seeing. It depends on, you know, what personnel they put in, you know, NFL matches up every level that we all match up. So, you know, they put in four receivers, we're going nickel. If they put in third, you know, that, so it's all about matchups and it's the ability to do in things. And I, you know, I would say one of the things a slot corner has to do is he has to, you know, I heard you guys talking about, you know, he's okay with being a slot corner. When Swartz's thing, he's, he's going to be playing man coverage in the slot. You know, when you're with Woods, you're, you're a C gap. If you get, he's more of a down a distance guy. So you would see him, you would actually see Newsom in the, playing the C gap, having C gap run fit responsibilities because they were more down a distance. So, um, that slot receiver to me, it, I never understood that. To me, it's about touches and um, how are you going to get guys touches? Because there's certain corners that that are very handsy at top of routes that you want to run vertical routes on. There's certain guys that are not very good at press that you want to get over the top. Um, Tim was saying about height. Well, it, you know, I've never understood. Well, this guy only runs deep really well. Well, throw him the ball deep then, and then work on everything else. There's, you know, there's a, comes a point where not everybody has everything. But that receiver to me is all about touches. And if it's if you have to figure out a matchup 
bringing him out of the backfield and getting him matched up on a, a, a you know a backer in you know whatever groupings you're in, or if you have to get him on a safety or put the tight ends out at one and put you know put those guys in the slot, and then you know there's some you know obviously some teams will regardless of where you you know what, what you do, they're going to put their corners on the best receivers. Well, then you put your slot receivers outside, and now you have a lot of space. You're going to see that you saw that with Kareem Hunt a lot of a lot of times where you're gonna they're going to put a backer out at one. Then you have all that space to work. And so I agree with you guys. It's all about matchups and, and finding those matchups. And, you know, as an offensive corner, that's what we try to do. You try to find what are you really good at and what is the defense not really good at and how can you mesh that? And, and I think Stefanski does a great job of that. Go back and watch the Monday night Baltimore game, the, uh, the Lamar Jackson, when Lamar Jackson had to leave Kareem Hunt online, just cooked linebackers all night that night. That was like peak Kareem Hunt in a, in a Browns uniform. That was, that was a fun game. That's sort of an example of, of what you're, what you're kind of getting at Lance. Uh, Tim, who's the best receiver in this draft? I think it's Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio state, you know, even going back to, you know, after the Rose bowl in 2022, you know, I was thinking in my mind, you know, looking at 2023, everybody knew Will Anderson was going to be the probably the first defensive player to go. I thought Jackson Smith and Jigba was in the conversation should have been the conversation for, for that same conversation that he would be the first offensive player other than a quarterback to go in the draft. That's how good he is. And then, you know, he has the hamstring issue and obviously never was the same, barely played the entire season, had a total of five catches in three games. And I think in, because he didn't really play much last season, I feel like people forgot how good he was. You know, he put up 300 plus yards against Utah, although granted Utah had a really banged up secondary. You know, at one point, I think they had one of the running backs, Micah Bernard, basically as a defensive back in that game. So that kind of tells you just the state of that secondary. But still, you got to be really good to put up 300 plus yards in a bowl game against a conference champion like Utah was that time. J- Jackson Smith and Jip was not the fastest guy. You know, he's never going to, you know, run past everybody. But what he is, he's extremely slippery. He's agile and his ball skills are tremendous. Go back, go back to his first college game against Nebraska. He has that amazing catch in the back of the end zone where he somehow gets the foot down. You know, nobody thinks it's a touchdown. If you look at the replay, and I think Joel Clapp was kind of losing his mind over that catch. His ball skills are tremendous. The guy is just going to get open. You talk about Cooper Cup. He's not a guy who's going to run past everybody. The guy knows how to get open. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jigba has a chance to be a similar player. I don't know if he's going to be as good as Cooper Cup, who was obviously the best receiver in football for a couple of years. But if he can get closer to that, top receiver in this class for me, because I think he has the fewest question marks. Lance, who do you think the best receiver in this class is? Well, it's hard if you watch the Utah that Utah game. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard not to like uh, in Jigba. He's really really good. I, my favorite receiver. I have one question just of size, but is is Jordan Addison, and I like his twitchiness. I like his twitchiness in space. I like them better at Pittsburgh. I like what Pittsburgh did with him a lot. You know, there's uh you know, USC Lincoln. They don't they don't they're not a heavy route team. They're a heavy space team. So you don't see a lot of in, intricate routes by him when he's at USC. Um, but I really like him. I think he's twitchy. I think he's in the slot. Um, obviously, he is uh, size. He's only 180 pounds top. So, um, again, those size, I like in Jigba in terms of his size, too, because you're talking about um, being available. And guys like uh, Jig, you know, when you're 200 pounds at receiver, you're, you're going to be available for the most part. Those, those small guys are fantastic, but they got to be able to hold up, uh, you know, 17 weeks. So my favorite, my favorite, t- and I like, you know, a guy who not a lot of people talk about, one of my favorite films was Zay Flowers. Thought he was really, really, again, a slot guy, does a lot of, he's real twitchy, a guy who's uh, more of a touch guy. 
Um, like you guys were talking about, I'm not really, I, I love receivers, but I like guys in space and those, you know, guys like Downs and, uh, and Jigba and Addison, these guys who can get the ball, you know, the, the, I, the perfect guy is Tyreek Hill. How do you get him the ball in space and what do you got to do with him? And how do you get him in a matchup? And so those are my favorite guys, but yeah, I like in Jigba, my favorite breakdown was Addison though. Kind of uh, going back off what you were saying about Zay Flowers, Lance, if I may, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite highlight films of anybody in this draft. I thought he reminded me skill wise of Antonio Brown. I mean, not just fast. He changes directions without losing speed. He was a guy, you know, way at the beginning of the draft process. I thought, you know, if he was at 42, that would have been a perfect option. Then you get closer and closer to the combine. You're like, no way he's, no way he's getting out of day one. No chance of that. Yep. Zay Flowers, who was just sent to Texas to work out with Patrick Mahomes. So that's, that's all you <laughs> need to know if, uh, if the Chiefs are squeezing in that last, that last kind of workout there. He's the best in and out of he's the best in and out of routes that I've seen in a long time in terms of his hips. Somehow he just you know a lot of guys you got you see a lot of guys we always talk about top of your routes sitting on routes and things like that. He just somehow um, it's all one movement and that's really 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 hard to do and it's it's really it's really awesome on film. He's he's really impressive on film. All right, Tim, I got a question for you that has that, that isn't about this draft specifically, uh, but I think this sure. guy is really interesting. Uh, he is a wide receiver. You can probably guess where I'm going with this. Marvin Harrison Jr. obviously is not eligible for this draft. He has one more year at Ohio State. Where would he rank in this draft as far as the receivers are concerned? And I'll throw this at you. Let's just say, for the sake of discussion, Caleb Williams goes number one next year. And just because quarterbacks are going to be such a hot commodity, let's say like Drake May goes number two. Is Marvin Harrison good enough to go number three or at least yes. be top five next year? Yes. For me in this class, and I've said before I love this receiver. I like this receiving class more than some people. I have I would have their Harrison number one and then blank space and then number three. I'd be skipping number two entirely because that would be the gulf to me between Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And, of course, Jackson Smith and Jigba in 2021 had the most yards of anybody in that receiving core. That included Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who were first-round picks. So that tells you how good Marvin Harrison Jr. is. I mean, this guy is probably the total package of receivers, 6'4", unbelievable ball skills you know just it's like if you added extra speed to his father that's almost what you get in Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean just a freak receiver who may be the best receiver to come out possibly since Jamar Chase and if I mean he's got a chance to really have an impact on offense maybe in a similar way that Jamar Chase has had for the Cincinnati Bengals um you know I think we I do believe you know we'll get into a situation some point you know this upcoming fall where you know, Mark, people are going to talk, you know, about Martin Harrison sliding a little bit because, you know, he's been in this spotlight for a year plus. And the more you're in the spotlight, the more scouts try to pick holes in your game. That happens to everybody because, I mean, it's just draft fatigue at some point. You you get excited about a guy so much that you look for things that are wrong with him over a certain amount of time. And that I think inevitably is going to happen with Marvin Harrison Jr. But I think right now, if he were to be in this draft right now, he would easily be my number one receiver because he could come in and be a number one receiver in the NFL for a lot of teams pretty quickly. Yeah, Lance, just, just real quick, your thoughts on Marvis, Marvin Harrison Jr. Because the more I think about it, like if he doesn't get hurt in that Georgia game, that might change who the national champion was this year. That's sort of the impact, not just sort of, that is the impact that, that he can have. 
Well, he's the best I've watched in a number of years, to be honest with you. He's he's good at all. He's good. When I look at a receiver, I think obviously those three things I talked about, release, catch point, and run after catch. And he's so he's he can play in the slot. Uh, one thing that's really, really going to be underrated with him coming out is his father. And people say, what does that mean? Well, he understands right now he's getting – He's getting two high hats. He's getting, you know, zone read. He's getting, he's not getting a lot of coverage. He's going to get a lot of different things in the NFL. He's going to have he's he has such an advanced knowledge to go along with that ability, uh, that natural ability. And you talk about ball skills and being able to bend and being able to get in and out of routes and uh, catch the ball away from your away from your body and the length. So not only is he fast, but when you add length to speed and he uses that length. Um, I was just doing a breakdown on McCord, and I was just watching those three catches from Green Game. He, you know, there's a lot of really good players at Ohio State. He just looks different. He's a lot different. He's he's a very rare, you know, when they talk about, like, uh, he's in that rarefied, like, Elway, Andrew Luck, like, scary kind of grades he'll probably have. Um, you know, I don't get into a lot of that, but I just on film, he's just he's in, in a, a joy to watch on film. Okay, before we move on, I just want to make sure, Tim, that we've given you – enough runway here that you've you've discussed everything you want to about. I don't want to shortchange you here on, on the receiver talk. Well, uh, do you mind? I can give a couple quick sleepers. Oh, we're there gonna, we this is this is our let our let Russ cook. This is our, our let Tim cook <laughs> segment right here. Right. I'll, I'll throw out some sleepers because these were guys I was really watching in anticipation of a sleepers question. Uh, we're about 30 minutes in. I was kind of surprised I didn't get sleepers. So I'll, I'll drop two if you don't mind. All right, these are two guys, like, you know, late mid to late day three guys that, you know, I've kind of come around on. I've really made sure to watch today in particular just to kind of be extra prepared. Uh, first guy is a guy you some people may not have heard of, Grant DeBose from Charlotte. I'm just put, pulling up his information right now. 6'2", 201 pounds, you know, played his last couple seasons at Charlotte. Um, just not a lot of experience necessarily, you know, about – 1600 yards at Charlotte, 15 touchdowns. This is a guy who athletically, you know, looking at his testing numbers, similar in a lot of ways to Mike Woods, the guy who the Browns drafted last year. You know, the 40, the 10 yard split is very similar. Height's very similar. They both had really good broad jumps where I think DuBose kind of has an edge over Woods is his three cone was very good and was much better for a guy of his size, you know, above average, you know, kind of almost about 78th percentile according to relative athletic score to football. That's RAS stop football where I got all my testing information. And I watched the highlight film because uh, I think it was Mike Fenner of PFF that was tweeting about him uh, early this morning. So that's what probably me take an extra look. I looked at his highlight film and there's one play where he has a quick slant. He puts a dude, he puts the defender on like ankle breaker on him on a quick slant. And when you see something like that, I don't care what level you are, catch your eye like, ooh, there's a little something there. So that's a guy, if you're looking for a taller guy who, again, as I talked about with what the Browns had a year ago, what they focused on a year ago with separation ability, that got caught my eye with Grant DeBose. And the, the other guy, Jalen Moreno Cropper from Fresno State, kind of more in the mold of the guys that we've been talking about, you know, throughout this episode, smaller guy, dynamic speed, you know, a 4-4 flat 40, a 10-yard split of 1.5 seconds, tremendous. Um, you know, what's going to hurt him is a slender frame. Uh, and he and he's got some experience working a very good quarterback, worked with uh, Jake Hayner, who, who I think is going to probably be an early day three pick at quarterback. Smaller guy, but I love his arm talent. He, Moreno Cropper was his, you know, favorite target at Fresno State, and they put up good numbers. Even look at the 
numbers the last two seasons. Almost 1,100 yards this year for Fresno State, just five touchdowns. But the year prior, nine almost 900 yards, 11 touchdowns. May not be a guy you ever put on the perimeter, but I think you're looking for slot guy with speed. I think Moreno Cropper might be your sleeper guy, maybe as a fifth-round pick. Lance, either of those names uh, ring a bell for you? Yeah, I actually had uh, Moreno Crapper. I love just because of what we talked about. Um, you know, he is really, you know, obviously we can talk about what can he do. He's, he's limited in some stuff, but man, is he, he's twitchy and sudden and he does some, he does some really, really good things. Um, other guy that, you know, I, I like the Yovasis kid out of Princeton too. His film is really good. You can't tell sometimes because who they're playing, but what a big physical, good looking kid he is as well. So um, yeah, I like all those guys. You know, Tim's got, Tim's got those receivers down for sure. All right, everybody take a deep breath here. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to get some texter questions, and then we're also going to get to our weekly Browns mock draft. And welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Tim Bielik and Lance Reisland talking NFL draft. We're going to get to some questions from our Football Insider subscribers. If you want to get involved in Football Insider, it's cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to become one of our texters. Uh, get that newsletter delivered to your inbox every day and also get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. Let's get to it. Uh, some of my favorite questions, Robbie from Canton. This isn't a question. It's more of a statement, but he says, let's talk trades with three exclamation points. No way are the Browns taking that many picks. Tim, do you believe that the Browns will make eight picks in this draft? No, and I, I I believe you guys might have talked about this on a podcast recently um, where they w- weren't going to make a lot of trades. And for those of us, those of you football insiders, you know, as Dan was talking about, they get the newsletter. I, I wrote on Thursday morning about three guys I would trade up for, you know, guys that I think have a shot to be available. It's hard to tell in this year's draft in particular because I think 30 to 60 could be, you know, just a wide range of guys. But, you know, it's not even just trading it for this year. It's trading for future picks next year. You know, with a roster roster that's relatively set with very few questions, maybe just depth in certain positions, you're looking to add what maybe more special teamers, you know, depth at receiver, depth on the defensive front, you know, maybe a, maybe a third safety to go behind Juan Thornhill and Grant help but linebacker help, offensive line depth. You know, those are the kind of the areas you're kind of looking at. I have a hard time believing as much as Andrew Barry loves his draft picks that he makes eight. I think, you know, it's it, it's a good year to consolidate, go up, you know, get some quality over quantity, you know, maybe t- turn eight to six or I don't know if it would be five. I would if I had to guess right now, my own opinion will be he makes six picks, trades up for one, and then trades out to get a pick next year. So that's kind of where I see this going. Okay, this question will we'll start here with Lance. This will be Stacy in Columbus. Uh, will each of you give your best case scenario for the third round picks, whether it's a particular player, position, or even position group? What will leave each of you feeling the most optimistic on Friday night? Lance? I think if they, you know, for me, if they take a play, you know, what you think is a a position of need. So that slot receiver that, you know, a a guy, uh, you know, if it's what you you assume as the best player in the draft. Um, Tim made a good point in terms of, you know, their their roster is not set, but it's pretty, you know, you know who you have at each position. So are you taking the best available player? Um, You know, I was reading some stuff when Tim talked about the top 75 and how that how important that is and. Um, so I think, you know, I think if they get a position of need, I really think they need to get a, uh, a slot receiver. I think they need, or a playmaker. So for me, um, whatever they think a guy who can make plays like 
you know, Achain from, you know, Texas A&M. I don't, I'm not saying him in presented, but a guy you go, oh, my gosh, that guy can make some plays. They need a guy on offense, I think, who can go out and get easy yards. So an easy yard guy would be my would be, would make me really happy. I think there's a couple things that I'm kind of thinking about. The first thing I think Brownstein should be root for, root for tight ends to go early in this draft. Root for this group, you know, to get taken off the board early because this is an abnormally good group of tight ends. So some of those guys come off the board, like if you see a Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State come off the board early, say like maybe a, a Darnell Washington, you know, from Georgia goes on the first round, makes potentially three first round tight ends, which I can't remember the last time that's happened. I admittedly probably should have done a little more research to look that up ahead of time. But, uh, you know, I think that's one thing to root for. You know, Browns fans should be rooting for those Titans come off the board. Same with corner. I love the depth of this classic corner. I think an ideal scenario, if the Browns don't have a guy that they absolutely love, you know, that would be a borderline first rounder sliding into the 50s, a, a JOK-esque type of fall. I mean, if Andrew Barry wants to make that move again, I think that would be the number one thing I'd be looking for. Otherwise, you know, I would, if I, if on the Browns, you know, root for one of those edge rushers that we've talked about, Nick Herbig, Andre Carter to still be available, root for one of those receivers like Marvin Mims, Jonathan Mingo, Jaden Reed to kind of still be available. Maybe even Devin A-Chain, like Lance was talking about Texas name, root for those options because then you could get some consolidation and maybe, they make the pick at 74 and then they move up from 98 possibly to get a second one of those guys. And all of a sudden you got, you know, two picks within the top, say 80, 85, for example. And then you come out of day two and you're feeling pretty happy. So that I think, you know, that to me would kind of be where I go. Okay. I only picked this question because it gives me a chance to throw out my newest draft philosophy that came out of no research, no, uh, nothing other than I like the idea. And I'm going to throw it at Tim and Tim can tell me I'm an idiot. Uh, Jamie and Bethany, Connecticut. If the Browns want instant impact in this draft class for 2023, is running back a position to target day two or early day three? The thinking is that running backs often peak early in their careers. It's one of the strengths of the draft class, and the Kareem Hunt role is presumably up for grabs rather rather than just being handed in full to Jerome Ford by default. So I've just sort of come up with this idea that, Tim, if I were a GM, I would just take a running back every year. Sort of like, you know, your philosophy is taking a lineman every year. Some teams kind of want to take a quarterback every year. I would just, it could be like your seventh round pick, but I would just take some kind of running back every year. Even if it ends up being like a Demetric Felton that you're going to end up moving to wide receiver. Just take a guy and see what you can do with him. That's not the worst philosophy I heard. I'll definitely say that much. I think it that's more for if you're kind of set at quarterback, like if you're set at a lot of key positions and maybe like, again, going back to the Chiefs, I mean, I don't think anybody expected Isaiah Pacheco. I think it was a sixth or seventh round pick. I'm trying to, I don't remember quite off the top of my head for him to be, you know, an impact player that, you know, plays a big role in them getting to the Super Bowl. Actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned random draft philosophies. I, I promise I'll answer the question in a second, but I was thinking of one going to the eye doctor the other day, and it was um, the idea for quarterbacks that ev- literally everything about a quarterback in the draft matters until it doesn't anymore. I could I could spend 20 minutes talking about that. I won't because I don't want to bore our listeners who don't need to – we don't need to talk about quarterbacks with them. But receiver, it, I've said it's a sneaky need. I do think, you know – Keeping an explosive number two option behind Nick Chubb is is helpful. You know, you're always one injury away from needing depth at, at running back. And I've been a fan of, you know, this class of smaller linebackers, particularly a guy like guys like Devin A. Chain, 
Ty J Spears from Tulane. I don't know if the Browns will make one of those two third round picks of running back, but if they do, and it's one of those guys, I think Browns fans should feel very happy because those are guys who can win with a lot of speed. They're mobile, and I think they can work well in a zone type blocking scheme that, you know, Kevin Fancy has implemented that Bill Callahan likes to coach with his offensive line in Cleveland. And more importantly, give them a pass catching dimension that they don't necessarily have with Nick Chubb necessarily. And, and we don't know what Jerome Ford, what kind of receiver he is. Lance, what are your thoughts on taking a running back early ish in this draft? So like on Friday or kind of early on Saturday, I just had this discussion. You're right. You can get a lot. It seems like you can get a lot of value from all, all rounds. When you look at running backs over the last couple, you know, number of years, 10, 20 years. Um, my thought with the Browns is, it would this be the year because if you're going to run the ball less like everybody says they're going to, which I still think they're going to run the ball very well, then your 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 carry should go to Nick Chubb, right? And if I'm an offensive coach, um, you know, you've kept some of the tread off him. Now you have – now you don't have Hunt. Now you have a young guy backing you up. So now if you're only getting 12 to 17 carries, all those carries should be going to Nick Chubb, right? So I don't know uh, if you want to get somebody behind him in term. I think you would get a guy behind uh, that can kick return, like Tim was saying, Achain, those guys who – are twitchy, can play in space, um, can line up in the slot if they need to, um, that can do some different things. Uh, like I love the Gibbs. I like Gibbs as much as I like – I was just talking to some Cincinnati people. I like Gibbs as much as I like Robinson for the Bengals, for what he does. He played under Bill O'Brien. He runs a full route tree. He understands NFL concepts. On, on, uh, so I think he's a great fit. So, yeah, I think especially what you have. And the Browns are not only a zone team, but they're a, D, a CD gap run team. Their power, their stretch, their counter, it all goes C-gap. Anytime you watch the Browns run, they're either running between the tackle and tight end or getting to the edge. And those guys, those guys, that's what they the, – the, I think you can find those guys in, in a lot of rounds. But, yeah, those guys – this year, if you can find a guy who can get the ball in space, jet sweeps, gadgets, those things are important too. Okay, one more, and then we'll get to our mock draft. This one comes from Mark in Canal Fulton. For the Browns' needs, which position is deepest or highest caliber players for where the Browns are drafting? Tim, what do you think are the deepest positions here? I've said Ed Rusher is, you know, my pick for the deepest position in this draft. I mean, so many could go, you know, in the first couple rounds. I talked about the two that I think are pretty much second round locked last week. Felix Andy, DK Zama, BJ Ojolari. I just mentioned, you know, you know, at 74, if you're hoping Nick Herbig from Wisconsin or Andre Carter from Army, Isaiah McGuire from Missouri, any of those three guys I think would be very good fits, you know, on this defense is, you know, starting off as rotational guys, you know, maybe – eventually they earn a starting role or they could be starting caliber players that I think would be an area I would look at. Um, same thing kind of with re- receiver. I, I've, I've said there's this cluster of receivers kind of in this day two date, this round two round three area that I don't think any of us know where, where it's all going to shake out. I think that position is, there's a lot of wild cards there because there's just not a lot of consensus, you know, of the pecking order outside of that top four. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jibba, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnson. That's, I think, seems like the established top four. And then after that, it's just like you could just, it's like picking a card out of a random card out of a deck of cards. You never, you don't know what it's going to be. So, that to me is going to be fascinating, but I would imagine at 74 or if the Browns want to trade up the end of the second round or the third round again, one of those guys, they should have plenty of options available. And it kind of it's fitting because those are the two big needs we've kind of looked at, you know, with this team that, you know, come in the offseason outside defensive tackle. And those are the two positions where plenty of good players should be available for them. 
Lance, what's the position that you've just been watching and there's just one guy after another? Just like you, you can't believe that there's another guy that you like. Well, I think it's one and one. I think one A, one B with uh, the edge. And, you know, when I think about a guy like Nick Hampton and like his film, uh, his stuff on film, and he's a guy who's, you know, I don't even know where he's ranked in some, some, you know, some areas, but he's a super talented guy off the edge. Uh, receivers, especially since I think a lot of NFL teams take those, are they inside or outside guys? There are so many good receivers. And, you know, what people don't understand is that I always tell people that the college football is so has migrated so much to the NFL now that those receivers can come in and play now because there are RPOs. There are, they're doing a lot of those option routes inside. So when you see the carryover, like guys who can make an, I think guys that can make an impact early with this class would be the receivers, even more the edge. Cause the edge, once again, we talked about last week, grown men are up in front of you, but guys who can make plays in space, there is just a ton of guys who can make plays in space in this draft. Okay, there we go. Our Football Insider subscribers and their draft questions. We're going to take one more break here, and then when we come back, we are going to do the first four rounds Browns-only mock draft, as we do every week here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is that time again, as we do every week, uh, Dan Lobby with Tim Bielik and Lance Rice, and we are going to do our Browns-only mock draft the first four rounds starting at pick number 74 this week we are using espn's mock draft simulator i think this is new uh it's from the espn sports analytics site espnsportsanalytics.com so uh trying a new one out here and the browns are on the clock at 74 so uh let's see tyler scott is a guy that we might have had some interest in at number 69 uh, let's Dewan Jones tackle goes 73. Let's see who's available here, Tim, for the Browns. And you can go ahead and make a case for us. So, uh, as you look at this list that I call up on our screen share, give me some names that you like. There's, uh, there's Marvin Mims. Maybe that's the direction we need to go here. I can look for guys. I can look for positions, whatever you want me to do. Well, for me, I think Mims would be the guy, but I think one guy that, that is there that we really haven't talked about at all. And, we, we did defensive lineman last week. Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. I mean, this is a guy who's got some good size. Who's 6'5", 264 pounds, very productive. Uh, tested, I think, very well at the combine. Is another one of those guys I think has got some good athletic tools. Needs to kind of, you know, work on that technique a little bit. But, again, something you can learn. You can't teach, you know, the size and athleticism he plays with. He'd be If he sneaks down, you know, late second round, I'd get interested in, you know, possible trade-up. But, I, I just talked willingly about Marvin Mims. I've been doing that the last couple of weeks. I think you have an idea where my draft crush next week might be going. <laughs> but so, I mean, that for me, this for me would be an easy call with Marvin Mims. Although Foskey really has me thinking here. Lance, what do you think? I mean, this is the wide receiver pod. Maybe we have to take a wide receiver, but is there somebody here that you could get talked into who's not Marvin Mims? Well, yeah, you know, I, I agree with the Foskey kid. We haven't talked about him at all. I think Derek Hall had a good film. I, I enjoyed watching his film. Uh, last week we took uh, you guys. Uh, I, I, I we took uh, my tight end over Jair Brown. <laughs> I really like Brown. You guys gave me the Coons kid, so I appreciate you giving me the Coons go. You know, so but yeah, I think I think Marvin Mims is, is for sure uh, the guy if available here. He's really he's really good on film. Is there a chance he still won't be around, even though they're saying this? Because I, I tell you what, his film, in, like you were saying earlier, Tim, about these guys are so similar. Some of these guys, he's really good. Marvin Mims is really good. Yeah, I mean, I think with this receiver class, it's really going to be the uh, – 
uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder with this class. Mm-hmm. I mean, the range on this, I think, after the top four, it could go anywhere. I mean, Marvin Mims could go early in the second round. I think I think he's that good. I think he's, you know, it te- teams might be scared of the size. He knows teams that, you know, are willing to spread it out more like the Browns obviously seem, seem like they want to do. They might value a guy like Mims more, you know, because he just has such explosiveness and such field-stretching ability that you have a quarterback with a strong arm like Deshaun Watson does, you know, you want a guy who has that ability, you know, to be on the receiving end of some of those passes. So, I mean, like I said, it could go, you know, 20 different directions. I'm pretty sure you could do a random draft simulator like (laughs) we're doing right now. And you're probably just as likely to get the order because it's just so all over the place, I think. So it feels to me like we looked at a couple defensive ends and kind of discussed them, but every, like, we sort of asked the question, why wouldn't we take Marvin Mims here? And it's basically those two edge rushers, but it seems like Marvin Mims is the guy that everyone seems to love. So I think we got to go with the gut instinct here and just take Marvin Mims. I think that's a win uh, here with the first pick for the Browns in the draft. So he's going to be the guy uh, at number 74. So we're up to number 98. Uh, Tim, go ahead and walk us through some names here. Zach Harrison is a name that has come up on this pod a couple times if we're looking at, at edge rushers, but talk us through some names here that you see um, on, on the picks remaining. Yeah, Zach Harrison, I think we talked about, you know, is a guy who I think is like a pure power edge rusher who is not as bendy as I think you would like necessarily for, you know, if the Browns and go why nine, but I think what he is, is he can be a top level edge setter kind of maybe, I don't know if he could be as good at that as Jadavian Clowney was, but if he could be in that area of, you know, a guy who can hold down the edge, I think that's a good way to go. Jordan battle, the safety from Alabama there ranked number 96. He's another guy that is, is very interesting. I think he's a balanced safety. He can cover, he can play down the box. I mean, you're looking for a third safety behind Juan Thornhill and Grant Delpit. I think, you know, as much as, you know, I think Rand Delpit's uh, strong with free skills, and I think, you know, Thornhill is a free that has some strong ability. I think, you know, Jordan Battle could be either one, I think, in the NFL. So, I mean, as much as, you know, I think Harrison is – yeah, that's a tough call for me between, you know, going <laughs> for, you know, a run-stopping type of defensive end, which, of course, the Browns lost. Uh, I mean, Oboe and Karankwo's, you know, just only about 250 pounds, so you lose some size on the edge. Um, you may not get elite sack production, I think, with Zach Harrison. Maybe if he gets bigger, you can kick him inside for pass rush situations. Um, right now, he would be my call, but it is hard to kind of look at that, look at Kendra Miller, look at Jordan Battle. That's a tough call. I mean, that's why I'm glad I'm not a general manager. I just get to sit here, you know, and tweet about it and, you know, talk about it with you guys. So, Lance, is there somebody you want to make the case for here? And we've got to play this game a little bit, too, because obviously we're going to be back on the clock pretty early on Friday at number 111. So you're picking 98, and then there's, do the math here, I had 13 picks later, you're going to be on the clock. So maybe so somebody my, else you like is still going to be there. So I did a tight end breakdown today, and obviously I like a lot of the tight ends. You guys know I like Coons. The guy <laughs> who doesn't fit the guardrails that you guys have now uh, enlightened me on, Schoon over from Michigan is going to be 25 years old. But he's really good, and he kind of fits the uh, the Andrew Barry. I mean, the uh, Stefanski. He can play in or out. Uh, I like Henry Tutu, the linebacker from Alabama. I always like linebackers from Alabama. They understand how to play coverage. They understand how he's a pretty athletic guy. I like him. Uh, I like Harrison too. Um, 
you know, the Rice kid, the Rice kid, and we can't go receiver, receiver. I like the Rice kid, too. He's a very good receiver. I liked him on film. You know, those guys are fresh. Uh, Zach Harrison, you know, I'm not sure how he fits in the um, Schwartz. And I always say, people always ask me, what's the what's the key to a defensive lineman for Schwartz? He's got to be able to bend. And and it sounds kind of weird, but you got to be able to bend and play a wide five and a wide three and a wide nine. Uh, Harrison does not bend very well right now if you watch him on film, but man, is he a, he's a mauler. Uh, and then I like Kendry Miller. If you had to ask me if he was around at this pick, I would go Miller because he's a guy uh, Tim talked about two weeks ago uh, who I had not watched, and now I've watched him a bunch, and he's good. Okay, so Tim, let's say that Lance just talked us out of Zach Harrison and he just doesn't quite fit what we're looking for at that other end. Uh, are you still leaning safety? Can you be talked into Kendra Miller? Where do you think we should go here? I can be talked into Kendra Miller. One thing I wish I could have access to, I'm sure it exists somewhere, but, but I don't know where it is, is, you know, explosive run rates. And I think that's an analytic buzz term, you know, with draft picks with running backs is, you know, can they get those – like the more explosive runs guys have, you know, the better they are. Because if you've shown a propensity to break big runs, uh, you're going to, at one level, you should be able to do it at another level. And I think, you know, with, with Kendra Miller, the build is similar as far as, you know, size goes to Nick Chubb. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Nick Chubb. That's a high bar to point to because Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the NFL and he's consistently been one of the best running backs in the NFL. But I think this is a guy who's got a lot of great production, almost 1,400 yards as a receiver, 14 yards as a 100 yards as a rusher, I mean. Just kind of still needs to find a little, be better, you know, finding holes a little bit, coming off an injury he had in the, in the Fiesta Bowl win against Michigan. But I think if you're looking for a guy who you can bridge a little bit, I mean, I with running backs, Miller being just a guy, I kind of be more in the camp of the smaller running back, but I could be talked into Kendra Miller as long as you, but I think the question is you still need to find a receiving back option. So as much as I like Kendra Miller, I know I'm kind of like going back a little bit. I keep going to Jordan battle because the idea of, you know, having that third safety, a guy who could potentially cover in the slide, you know, again, having depth and having insurance in multiple spots, you know, versatility for Jim Schwartz's defense, I just I really like Jordan Battle in this situation, and it pains me as a guy who loves offensive skill positions. Jordan Battle feels like like this feels like a pick we could actually see if he's here at ninety eight. I, I do wonder if the Browns would take a running back on Friday night, even if it's somebody they like. They've ten, you know, Andrew Berry has tended to take these guys on day three. Um, you know, even going back to the Sashi Brown days when when Berry was working in the front office, they took Matthew Day uh, really late. I think he tends to like guys on day three, especially because they already have that that workhorse in Nick Chubb. So I think I'm like it wouldn't surprise me if they took a safety on day two. So I think that's the direction we're going to go. Uh, we went with Lance. We rode with Lance last week. We're going to overrule Lance here uh, and take Jordan Battle at pick I like Jordan Battle. I think it's I, he's really you know Jordan Battle's a really good player. All right, so we have gotten some rest. We are back on the clock at number 111. There are still some players on the board. Uh, Kendra Miller is one of them that we left there uh, the other night. Uh, some more running backs here as well. So, Tim, who are some names that stand out to you as I kind of scroll through here at pick number 111? I think Kendra Miller looks even better at 111 here. Again, you know, I don't, I don't, I have self questions what kind of receiver he can be, but. 
you know, it's just when you're looking from a pure runner perspective, there's just so much to love about his game. I'm not sure what other running backs would be available there. I don't see Ty J Spears. So I would assume he was gone by this point. Uh, looking through here just real quick on the running backs. Yeah, I don't, I don't see him uh, remaining. So yeah, I think he's off the board. I mean, Lance, here we, here we go. We can get that running back if we want. Uh, but are there any other names here that you're kind of like, oh, that guy's, that guy's intriguing? Well, yeah, you go back to the depth at edge. Yeah, I had Diaby out of Louisville. He's a really good edge player. He's got a ton of talent. It just tells you the depth because his talent, his numbers are really good. Uh, you know, I was thinking about Tim when he talked about those explosive runs, and I think what the Browns do so well is that these these backs know where the holes are going to be. And I've been to a lot of practices in my life, and the Browns, you know, based on what they're seeing, a three technique, a five technique, a nose, if they see an odd front, a tight front, uh, you know, a four, whatever they see. They kind of they kind of dictate where this. They're so good up front and they're so well coached. That's why I think these backs. That's why I think obviously Nick Chubb, but that's why I think these backs have such success regardless of who's in for the Browns. Is when you watch them practice, they're running outside zone against an out front. They expect to hit it here. Now in the NFL, everything changes obviously, but I just think with Kendrick Miller, he's he, you know he comes from a, a very good offensive scheme at TCU. I think he's a great fit. I think he's explosive. Um, the the backs and the O-line with the Browns are my absolute favorite. Uh, Dan, you remember every single day we got there, we did the <laughs> yeah. thing, and I went down the, I went down to the O-line, and I went down to the running backs every day because that is why they're so good, because they know where they're going, both the backs and the O-line. So I think he's a great call. I think, he'll, I think he would fit in great. Yeah, just to, to lay it out for everyone, when you're in Berea, there's like three main practice fields and sometimes four, depending how they paint them. But, uh, you know, the team and they'll do they'll do seven on seven and stuff on one field. It's usually one of the two main fields near the building. And then off on one of the far fields, they do the offensive line. Sometimes the running backs are over there. And every time if you were looking for Lance, he was he was way off on one of those far fields standing by himself, just watching Bill Callahan uh, work with that offensive line. So. Uh, definitely something that, that you got a good taste of. I think Kendra Miller's kind of our consensus here. So I don't think we need to argue on this. I think we can turn in the card. We're going to go Kendra Miller at 111, at 111. And then that brings us to pick number 126. Uh, still some names. We've been dancing around a little bit. Tim, who do you like here? Uh, I mean, we talked about Nick Herbig from uh, Wisconsin before. You know, I think as an edge rusher, I think he, he's got some untapped potential Um I think he's got a chance to be successful either as a linebacker or as an edge rusher. I think, you know, even though he's smaller, he could fit the short scheme because he has been, because he can be able to get around the edge and he's got natural pass rush tools. I mean, he could work well as a linebacker in some schemes, especially schemes that like the blitz. I don't believe Jim Schwartz is much of a blitzer that he usually likes to get pressure before. Maybe sometimes he'll send a fifth crowded boxes, maybe stuff like that. Um, Herbig here feels like it has the potential to be potential to be a steal because I mean again I've, I we talked about this way back when you started doing these draft podcasts you know this is he's a lot he's a projection in some ways because his position in the NFL uncertain and you know NFL teams love certainty they love to have an idea of where a guy's going to go you know how he fits you as opposed to you know taking a player and you know taking his talents and molding a role for him kind of like, you know, we saw Andrew Barry do two years ago with Jeremiah Usukoromoa. That's why I feel like, again, if it seems like what Browns, to me, seem like one of the more likely teams to take Nick Herbig and then put him at defensive end. Lance, what do you think? I love the – you know, I 
Absolutely. This is another one Tim got me going on. Um, he is, so I always look at, you know, the people talk about his size, but it would be different if he was in a heavy five technique or a heavy nine technique. So, you know, he's not going to have his hands directly on that tackle. And, uh, and, and I always tell, one of the things we always talk about, are you a light or do you play heavy? Well, early rundowns when I was coaching, we always talk about playing heavy. Make sure you cover, make sure your foot is on the helmet of the guy in front of you, especially the tackle. Schwartz doesn't like to do that. So that idea of, I don't know how it will hold up in the run. Uh, it's not a superpower run game that they see in the NFL in terms of gaps and all, you know, everybody. He's a situational guy. He is fantastic. He gets after the quarterback. And when you talk about, everybody always talks about matchups with Schwartz. For me, it's not as much matchups as it is alignments. His alignments give those guys great edges. And when you have edges, it can you can be undersized because you're not engaging. You know, you're not you're not taking on that tackle who's going to get that, you know, that punch in there quick. You're on the edge and you're forcing him to kick to you. Uh, there's you can argue he's as good off the edge in terms of a flat speed rusher off the edge running that hoop as anybody in college. He's really good. I think he'd be a steal here. This was easy. Uh, this is like, I mean, this is a, a front office working in harmony here as we are going to take Nick Herbig. So our draft, Marvin Mims at 74, Jordan Battle, the safety at number 98, Kendry Miller, the running back at 111, and Nick Herbig, the linebacker at 126. Interesting, ESPN's uh, analytics tells us that Herbig's uh, chance available, I, get, I don't know if this is because we picked him or what, but Herbig's chance of being available at our next pick would have been non-existent. And also with Marvin Mims, there was a 6% chance he would have been available at our next pick. So I think we did okay there, uh, taking the right guys at the right places. So again, Mims, the wide receiver, Battle, the safety, Miller, the running back, and Herbig, the linebacker. Tim, if this is the draft, if we're sitting here in the middle of the day on Saturday and these are the first four picks, uh, you're pretty happy with this, right? Yeah, I think Browns fans, for Browns fans, this might be as good as you get, you know, not having a pick in the first two rounds of the draft. And one point on Miller that I forgot to mention is, you know, the fact that he's similar to Nick Chubb in certain ways is, in terms of build is, you take Nick Chubb off the field and, you know, Nick Chubb's hard enough to tackle on his own because he's got power and speed. You put Kendry Miller out there, he's another bigger back. I mean, I would imagine that's the last thing another linebacker wants to see is, you know, another bigger running back that the Browns have. You know, you take Nick Chubb out, you could put Jerome Ford in for speed, uh, Kendra Miller in for more power situations, Who, even though he has some speed to work with. Um, so I think that creates a lot of versatility there in that running back room. Like I said, questions about, you know, can he be a pass catcher out of the backfield? But I think those are things you can work around, especially if, like I said, when you draft Marvin Mims, all of a sudden you have a, a, a rotation potentially of up to six or seven receivers that you could work with. I mean, we talked about the top three, Murray Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore, but then behind them you have Marquise Goodwin, David Bell, and in this scenario, Marvin Mims. That's a pretty good one through six where you could essentially run a line change if you want to, like in hockey, just to get those three guys arrested in any situation. You have guys for, like I said, multiple situations, whatever it calls for. So from a skill position perspective, I think this gives Deshaun Watson a lot more options to play with. Yeah, Lance, this feels like we've addressed needs, also gotten, you know, in a lot of cases, if not the best player available, a player that, you know, the right player at the right spot. Well, you can see why Tim is the uh, draft expert and not I, <laughs> because I was going to take Miller at 98 and he was still available at 111. So we're going we're gonna to swing towards uh, Tim when we have those battles between us because we had him, we got him where we wanted him well, at 111. Herbig at 126 is amazing to me. 
Because, um, like I said, you watch him on film and with matchups and alignments, um, you know, when he's – if you're in a third and long situation, you're in nickel, whatever it is, and he's out there in that wide five on a third and long, and teams obviously are going to put that back towards – you can either put Miles at the three or Miles on the other side – he can give you a pass rusher. He's also a guy in the nickel. I think he's talented enough to play that middle backer, and he he has those skills. He has ball skills. He can drop. He can do a bunch of different stuff. So I think he's a perfect fit, and I think he's a perfect fit for the scheme. Not only is he good for any scheme, but I think he's really a perfect fit for uh, for Schwartz. So I think that's a really, really, uh, really good uh, four picks right there. All right, there we go. Our NFL Draft podcast here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, just make sure you become a Football Insider subscriber to get uh, text updates, get the newsletter every day delivered to your inbox, and also get access to those stories that are behind that paywall at cleveland.com slash browns. Just go to cleveland.com slash browns and click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up on that. We'll have lots of stuff coming your way, uh, especially as draft week starts to heat up next week. And make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, on Apple Podcasts, we love to see those five-star reviews and also uh, when you say nice things about us. All right, I think we got one more of these left next week uh, coming up. But uh, today's was fun. For Tim and Lance, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.